Jamila and I live overseas full time, um, and that's just something I could never have thought about. And so, one of the many ways that Grace has uh, been a part of my life is the challenging me to follow uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. And how it's possible that we're even in Greece is because of the support of our church.、Um, you know, we raise our own salary, and it's because of Grace and the people in the church who came around us and said, "We as a church, we want to send you."、Um, as individuals and as as the church. I called a friend、um, to ask, you know, him to consider partnering with us, and he was like, "You know,、um, no matter where I am financially, I always have this list of people." If they call, then I will make, I will fix things. I will work it out, and I will give to them. He did that for us. He's like, I'll, you know, not watch Netflix this year and just give to you guys. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's so convicting and so encouraging, and all these things. When you go through things like that and you're receiving it, you realize you want to be that person for other people.、Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to just take that blessing from the Lord and hoard it for yourself. You know, you want to. To pass that on, Grace has been、uh, such a vital role in multiplication and mobilization in College Station, and so we're excited to see that、um, happen、uh, in Bryan. We're, we're excited to see that happen uh, overseas. Um, we're excited to see that happen in other areas、um, of Texas or even the United States.、Uh, we we cannot wait to see what the Lord is going to do through Grace Bible Church、um, on a grander on a grander scale. All right. Well, good morning. We are going to be in Luke chapter twelve for most of the morning. Luke chapter twelve, and then Luke chapter sixteen. And、uh, as you are getting over to Luke twelve, if you've got your Bible, let me mention again. Dylan mentioned this earlier. If you were not here last week, and for some reason you did not get one of the Every Knee books,、uh, Chris is actually standing back here at the table. He's got a stack of them. Feel free to sneak out. There right now and grab one if you didn't get it. There's a place for sermon notes for each week of this series. And as we walk through, kind of almost every week, I'm going to remind us all of what we are doing because the series itself centers around that question of why do we want to become joyful and generous givers, and that is going along with our Every Knee initiative. And you'll remember from last week we had two goals. Primary goal was this: that 100% of us become engaged with what God is doing here and around the world. That 100% of us say, "I want God to use everything I am and everything that I have for the furtherance of His kingdom." That I want God to use whatever I've got to share the gospel here and around the world, so that more people and more people and more people can come to know Jesus Christ and make disciples until that day when every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. That's our primary goal. A hundred percent of us engaged in what God is doing. Secondary goal is to continue to move forward with the vision that we believe God has placed upon the hearts of the leadership of Grace Bible Church. And so, as we talked about over the next two years, our prayer is to raise the thirty-two million dollars that will go toward a variety of initiatives. Part of that is our regular operating budget. Part of that is the fund for the Creekside facility that we're hoping to begin this summer. And then there are other aspects of it that deal with church planting, both here in Bryan College Station. And overseas, all that is described in the booklet. If you don't have one, again,、uh, grab one. And and inside, again, we mentioned the commitment card last week. 
That is not a pledge card. Remember I said I'm not going to come knock on your door and ask you if you are giving your pledge. We're not going to post your name out in the foyer and how much you're giving with a little thermometer or anything like that. That's not what we're doing. Instead, it's an opportunity for us as leadership to hear from the congregation to go, are we moving in the direction that God is calling us toward, right? Based upon the responses then, we say, okay, either we need to adjust the plan God is leading us toward, or we are right on track, or maybe we haven't dreamed big enough. So in a few weeks on May 6th, we will fill out that card as a church family. If you are particularly excited about the Every Knee Initiative and would like to join us on April 27th at 6.30 at the Ice House on Main down in Bryan. We're having what's called the Advanced Commitment Night. We'd love to see you out there. There's going to be food. It's going to kind of be a party, but also an opportunity for those who say, I really want to be a part of this initiative early. Uh, we'd encourage you to join us out there. If you can't join us for that, then there will still be that opportunity to participate on May 6th and actually ultimately on the website as well. But we really would love to see you, if possible, at the Advanced Commitment Night. All right, so we're going to be in Luke 12 this morning. Let me begin with this photo. Uh, Some of you know what this is, and uh, some of you do not. Uh, But this is a beanie baby. Uh, I brought a couple of them this morning. My mom, as it turned out, had an entire basket of beanie babies still at the house that she's allowed our kids to play with over the years. So you can see this one in the photo. This is the Princess Diana 1997 limited edition beanie baby bear with the tag still on it. At one point, it was worth quite a good deal of money. Uh, The ones that I have here, this is Peace the Bear and this is Peanut the elephant. They no longer have tags on them. They've been well-loved. They're basically just little plush toys with, I guess, tiny little beans, like beanbag beans inside, right? So they're kind of nice. But what's amazing about them is that at one point in our nation's history, about 20 years ago, these were worth a lot of money. People were trading them as collector's items, right? They were, they were created by a company called Ty. The CEO was Ty Warner. Ty Warner was a master at manipulating supply and demand. And so what he would do is there would be certain Beanie Babies that would be released into the market for just a few weeks, right? And they might make just a few thousand of them. And then they would pull them off the shelves. And if you didn't get that limited edition Beanie Baby when it first came out, you were in like a frenzy, to try to get that Beanie Baby. And there were people who began to feel that these were going to continue increasing in value forever, right? And so they began to invest a lot of money in Beanie Babies, right? Uh, It says, I, I ran across an article this past week. It was called The Plush Life. Why did people lose their minds over Beanie Babies? It says, from this distance, it's easy to laugh at Beanie Baby fever, to mock it as just another pointless fad in a chintzy hollow decade. But in the latter part of the 1990s, Beanie Babies were so much more than a fad. They were a mania, an obsession that ensnared not just gullible children, but also otherwise responsible adults who lost all sense of perspective over these plush playthings. People sold and bought some rare Beanie Babies for $5,000 each and expected others to skyrocket in value within a decade. Collectors were careful to keep each toy's tag attached and protected by a plastic case. A Beanie Baby's worth was said to fall by 50% once the tag was removed. Now think about that. $5,000 for one of these. 
There was one man, a former soap opera star, who invested $100,000 to buy 20,000 Beanie Babies. And he was going to flip them at a profit and pay for his sons to go to college. Right? And the prices kept going up and up and up until they didn't. Right? Of course, it was a speculative economic bubble and the price crashed, right? And what does that guy have now? He has a garage filled with 20,000 Beanie Babies minus $100,000 that he spent on what was ultimately an economic bubble. And why do I share that story this morning as we begin? Here's why. Because as we look at the scripture and what it has to say about our money, about our possessions, as you look at the teachings of Jesus, ultimately one of the things that you see is that virtually everything that you have in an eternal economy is a beanie baby. In the eternal economy, everything that you and I own is a part of a bubble because the day is going to come when it will be worthless. That day might be today. You might find today yourself standing before Jesus Christ and giving an account of your life. And on that day, whether it's today or on the day Jesus returns, nothing that you own right now, not your house, not your car, not your retirement account, not your bank account, none of it will have any value in an eternal economy because in that day, the only things that will have value are those things of God's kingdom, the people that God created, the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. All of these things will have value and the value of everything else is gonna collapse. So as we look at the scripture and we talk about the question of money and resources and giving, Here's how you might think about it. Imagine that you were living in 1997 and you had a stack of Beanie Babies and you had some of the $5,000 Beanie Babies, but you knew that in a couple of years the price was going to collapse. I mean, you knew it for a fact that right now it's worth $5,000. In two or three years, it will be worth 37 cents. What would you do? you would sell it. And some people did. And you would take that money and you would invest that money in something that you believed to be of longer lasting value, right? Like Bitcoin or something like that. (laughs) You would take it and you would say, I'm going to invest in something that has long-term value. All right. That's the emphasis of the scripture when we talk about money. If you remember, if you were here last week, we asked this question, why should we become generous and joyful givers? And you'll remember the very first reason was this, because giving is an act of worship to our worthy God. In other words, we looked at Exodus 35 and 36 and how the people of Israel brought all that they had to build the tabernacle because they said everything that we have, all our gold, all our silver, all our materials, it's all worth it. And they brought so much that the people building the tabernacle said, okay, that's enough. We don't need any more because everybody wanted to be in on what God was doing, right? Because God was worth it. Giving is an act of worship to our worthy God. Reason number two is what we're going to look at this week, though, that when we give to God's purposes, we are investing in eternity. 
When we give to God's purposes, what we are doing is we are taking a temporary resource, a resource that has temporary value, and we're saying, I want to cash this in for things of eternal value. When I give my money to the spread of the gospel in this country and to missions around the world, I am saying, I want to convert my American money into the eternal economy so people can come to know Jesus and to know Jesus better and to worship Jesus so I can reflect and proclaim Jesus Christ with what he has given me. Giving to God's purposes is an investment in eternity. There are a couple of other ways that we could frame this same principle. This, this one comes uh, from, I'm borrowing it from a book called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. He says it this way, you cannot take it with you but you can send it ahead, right? We've all heard the old joke, there are no hearses with U-Hauls behind them. You can't carry anything you have, not your house, not your money, not your car. Nothing you have is gonna last forever, but what you can do is you can take it and you can send it on ahead. We're gonna see that principle laid out as we look at the book of Luke this morning. Another way to put it is this, you can't keep your treasures, but you can decide how to invest them. Everything that we have only has value in eternity, depending on how we utilize it for the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean we're going to say this morning that we all need to go and sell all of our houses and all of our clothes and have nothing, right? Houses as they are. You may own a house and you might be able to utilize that resource for the kingdom of God to share with others to use it as a base to proclaim the kingdom of Jesus Christ in your neighborhood, right? We're not going to say never buy anything. There are physical necessities that we have to attend to for ourselves and our families. But we are going to say is this, that in the final analysis, the only thing that will matter about how we use our money is how we are pouring into those things that are eternal. Even if we own a house, even when we own a car, even when we have a retirement account, the questions we want to ask is, am I planning to use my retirement years for the glory of the kingdom of God rather than for simply my own pleasure. Everything we spend, everything we have, you cannot keep your treasures, but you can decide how to invest them. We're going to look at that principle this morning and we're going to begin in Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, a parable that many of you are familiar with. Jesus was teaching and it says, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry." But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right, so Jesus tells this story in response to a guy that's like, look, I want my share of the inheritance. 
And Jesus seems to imply, maybe you are thinking about money incorrectly, right? And so he tells this story and here's this guy and he, like many of us in this room, he says, I've got an excess. What am I gonna do with all my excess? He goes, you know what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna build larger barns. I'm gonna store it all and then I'm gonna spend the rest of my life just hanging out and eating. But what he doesn't know is he's about to die. And what's gonna happen to everything that he owns. He doesn't even know what's going to happen to it. Now, I want to be clear again, this is not a parable against saving any money. But instead, it's a parable about perspective, right? Because certainly there are advisors that we could find in our lives that would look at this this guy's plan and go, actually, that's a pretty sound plan, right? You take everything you have, you just stash it in a big pile. And then when you hit the right point in time, you got a big enough pile, you say, I'm going to kick back. I'm going to move to Maui and I'm going to spend the rest of my life, the next 25 or 30 years in leisure. And Jesus says to that mindset, you fool, because there are some things that this rich guy missed. There are some things that he did not understand about his resources. What did the rich man fail to understand? Let me offer two concepts this morning. What did this rich man fail to understand about his resources? The first thing is this. His earthly riches have temporary value. His earthly riches have temporary value. Now we talked about this briefly as we began, but essentially he failed to understand that his earthly riches were a bubble commodity. And again, everything you own is a bubble commodity in light of eternity. The day is going to come when your house will have no value to you. Your car will have no value to you. Your retirement account will have no value to you. And that's what this man failed to understand. The day may come sooner than you even think. It's interesting this week, I was looking for illustrations and I ran across an article from Forbes magazine a couple years ago. The title of the article is this, sorry, nobody wants your parents' stuff. And it says, here's the deal. Nobody wants the prized possessions of your parents, not even you or your kids. It talks about how after World War II in our economy, we we began to develop a mindset of the more stuff we can cram into our homes, the better. Large furniture items, china sets, artwork, collections. I remember my grandmother, a godly woman, my grandmother had a large collection though of various ducks, of various materials. Some of you have run into those types of collections. And they say what happens is, as the years go by and as fashions change, we sometimes hold on to this stuff and we say, someday this will be of value to my kids and my grandkids. There's a quote from a young man. He says, old mahogany stuff from my great aunt's house is basically worthless. The day may come sooner than you think when the stuff that we have accumulated really has no value. But that what has value is how we use the things that we have for the kingdom of God. It's interesting, I printed this out. Our printer in my office was not working, so I printed this out in a public area on the copier. And when I came downstairs to pick it up, uh, one of my coworkers was holding the article and he said, did you print this? And I said, I did. And he goes, this is perfect. He said, right now, I am working with my mom to try to clear out a house full of stuff that she believes we want. 
and we don't. Because the reality is everything we own is eventually going to be a bubble commodity. Some of us, we say, yeah, but, but what about like my house? It's going to appreciate in value forever and ever. The reality is that once you factor in how much we spend just to keep it livable, you're not making much money. I hate to break it to you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you have purchased a new vehicle or a new to you vehicle. And what happens for the first couple of weeks, you don't even want the children in the vehicle. Right, because you want to keep it pristine. You want to keep it just right. I mean, the seats are clean. There's not scratches on the outside. Everything is good. But then what happens? The day comes when you are driving down the street and one of your kids is eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that they snuck into the car. And a big glob of jelly falls on that seat. Right, and a single tear drips down your face. But then what do you do? Eh, I guess everybody can eat peanut butter and jelly now. The market value has depreciated. The very first night, this is true, the very first night that Shannon and I were living in the very first house that we owned, I went up into the attic to place some boxes up in the attic. And to my shame, I didn't exactly understand how attics work if there have not been, yes, you know where this is going. (laughs) I fell through the ceiling. And I put a me-sized hole right in the ceiling of the very first house that we owned. It happened to be in the corner of our bedroom. So I went to sleep that night looking at a giant hole, the shape of my body, in the ceiling. And it was this painful reminder, everything I own, it's already falling apart. It's already decaying. It's already losing value. We looked at the book of Ecclesiastes a few years ago, for those of y'all that were here with us then, and you may remember uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, probably King Solomon, talks about how he accumulated wealth for himself and houses and lands. And at one point in the book, in chapter two, he says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. It's at least a 50-50 shot. And as you look at the history of large amounts of money, people who were fabulously wealthy, here's what you find is usually by about generation three at the latest generation four, it's gone. It doesn't last. Right? And so, so this wealthy man in Luke chapter 12 failed to understand everything that you have has temporary value. He was only concerned with today. He was only concerned with the horizon he could see. And he wasn't thinking about that day when he would meet his maker and give an account. Have you used your resources to share with others? Have you used your resources to invest in the kingdom of God because it has temporary value? He didn't understand that earthly riches have temporary value. Secondly, he didn't understand that true life isn't found in those riches. True life is not found in earthly riches. Think for just a moment about what Jesus says. Not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Right? Not even when you have a lot. Why is that? Because life is found where? 
Life is found in knowing God and knowing His Son and investing our lives in helping other people know God and know His Son. That's where life is found. And here's what we do. Every time we purchase something extra that we believe that we need. That's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But every time we do, the reality is somewhere in the back of our minds, there's probably an image of the good life, right? There's an image in there somewhere that says, I need to have X, Y, or Z because that will lead me to a better life than I have right now. Whether that is a house or a car or a vacation or whatever it may be, we say, this is something I need because I'll have a better life. Now, if we're not careful, the reality is that that those images of the good life we have in our minds can replace the picture that the scripture presents of the truly good life. All right. And this is, again, not to say that vacations are wrong. This is not to say that hobbies are wrong because the reality is sometimes in rejoicing in all that God has given and experiencing joy in his creation and even bringing other people into that joy, we're worshiping God, right? So joy is not wrong. But what happens is when we begin to believe that the good life is found in those earthly things. I don't know how many of you ever watch like home remodeling shows on HGTV or TLC, Fixer Upper, the Property Brothers, the House Hunters. At a really fundamental level, what are they selling you? They are selling you an image of the good life, right? So I I do enjoy these shows sometimes. So I'll turn on House Hunters and there's always kind of a setup, right? There's a guy, it's like Bob is a part-time substitute teacher, right? And his wife sells still life paintings at flea markets, and their budget is only $2.3 million, and they've got to move into Chicago, right? And you, you're always going, how? Are they mobsters? Like, how in the world is their budget that when they're doing that? And yet you watch them go into these houses, and they look at all these different houses, and this one they say, I can't live here because there is no open concept, and I got to be able to talk to the children while I cook my omelet. Right? And then the dad comes in and he says, I can't live here because I need a man cave in my own home. I need a place where I can get away from the other people who live in my home. It's critical to my emotional health. And I begin to watch it and I go, why don't I have one? I do not have a man cave. There is nowhere I can go to get away from the other people in my home. And what happens if we're not careful? It begins to stir discontent in our soul to believe that the good life is going to be found if I could just have a couple hundred more square feet. If I could just have granite counters instead of this old Formica. If I could just have a nicer vehicle. If I could just have nicer vacations. If I could just have a little more for my kids' college education or retirement. Just, just a little more. And the good life is always just around the next pay raise, just behind the next purchase. And yet we never find it in earthly riches. Why? Because Jesus said, what? I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life, true life, is only found in Jesus Christ. Some of you will be familiar with this, but a number of years ago, the National Academy of the Sciences did a a large survey to correlate how much does having more money actually make people happy. 
And right? here's basically what they found, that there actually was an increase in happiness with more money, but only up to a point. And that point at the time was roughly about $75,000 a year. When you're, when you're making roughly $75,000 a year. And they began to ask, why is it up to this threshold people get happier with more money? But after that, it tapers off. And in fact, at a certain point, it begins to even drop. People become less happy with more and more money as a general rule. Here's why. Because they figured out roughly at $75,000, you're at a point where you probably don't have to worry about a, a place to live. You probably don't have to worry about filling your stomach with food. You don't have to worry about buying clothes. You have the basic necessities and a little bit to have some fun. But beyond that, you've just got more resources to manage and think about to cause loss of sleep and stress. Right? And that's not to say that if God has blessed you with a lot more than that, that you're doomed. Right? What it is to say is this. That the reality is that if you're looking for meaning and happiness and significance, if you say, you know what, when I hit 50,000, that's where I'll be happy. When I hit 100,000, that's where I'll be happy. You know what will happen is you will always look over the next hill and you'll see other people that look happier up there and other people that look happier over the next one and over the next one. If you're number three on the Forbes 400, you're chasing number two. True life will never be found in earthly riches. The rich man failed to understand it. Earthly riches have temporary value. True life is not found in earthly riches. So then the question is this, well, what, what should we do with our earthly riches? Right, what do we do then? I want to read another passage then this morning, also from the book of Luke. And it's Luke chapter 16. So flip just a couple of pages over in your Bible. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Incidentally, I think the Gospel of Luke probably talks more about money and possessions than any of the other Gospels. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Now, Jesus was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management. For you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Now, as you look at this passage, here's, here's what I want to point out. What this manager did is illegal, right? It's, it's dishonest. You can't, as a steward of somebody else's money, reduce the debt of your own accord, 
He's dishonest. He was already squandering the money. He still loses his job. So why does the manager commend him? He commends him not because he's dishonest, but because he's smart. And he says, I have an opportunity right now to take this money and turn it into something of value when I leave this position. He was still going to get fired. But now he had used the money he had been given access to, to make friends for himself. And then Jesus lowers the boom and he says, that's what you and I need to be doing with our money. We take our money and he says, you make friends for yourself in eternal dwellings. That is, you take your money and you orient all of your money and your resources and your property, whatever it is God has given you, you say, I want to utilize this to bring people to know Jesus Christ so that when I get to eternity, there are people who are there because I took whatever I had. And I said, God, I want to invest this in eternity for your kingdom. And Jesus says, if you do that, that is a way of being faithful with the little that you have been given. Look, the reality is whether you make 10,000 a year or a million dollars a year compared to what God owns in an eternal economy, it's very little. And he says, you've been given for a short period of time management of a few resources. How are you going to use them to draw people to know Jesus Christ, to draw people into the kingdom of God? So we invest then in organizations that share the good news of Jesus Christ. We invest then in the local church because through the local church, the word of God goes out into the community. We invest in missions, people like Kyle and Chamilla, who we just heard from at the beginning of the morning because through men and women like them, people are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ so that when we enter into eternity, Our prayer is that we hear Jesus Christ say, well done, you were faithful with a little. I'm going to entrust you with more. Just a few chapters over in Luke 19 is the famous parable of the minas where a master gives his servants differing amounts of money. You remember, And, and a couple of them, they invest the money and they double it. But then the last guy kind of just buries it in the ground and he just sort of hoards it away and keeps it for himself. And the master comes back and from the guy who hoarded it, he takes his away and he gives it to those who invested it wisely. Right? And Jesus' point, he tells a very similar parable over in the book of Matthew as well, that in the kingdom of heaven, there will be eternal reward, eternal opportunity to reign with Jesus for those who use what he has given now in a manner that is wise. And there will be the joy of looking around and saying, What I have invested has borne fruit for eternity. And so Luke 16, how should we use our earthly riches? We use our earthly riches to invest in eternity. All too often we lose that perspective. I was thinking this week, uh, my daughter uh, sometimes likes to make and purchase slime. I don't know if you have kids uh, of the right age where they make or purchase slime, but it is what it sounds like it is. Uh, It is slime, right? And so she likes it. She likes to play with it and and manipulate it. She wants me to touch and play with the slime. I decline every single time, almost. Every so often I'll touch one that doesn't look too slimy, right? So so they make this stuff and and sometimes they they even might order it on the internet and right, it's, it's a hobby, so I don't have a huge problem with it. It's fun. It brings her joy. For some reason, it brings her joy. 
to play with it. But let, let's, just, let's just propose a scenario for a second. Let's imagine the next week she came to me with several thousand containers of slime. And she said, Dad, look what I did. All of that money that you had in that account for me to go to college, I turned it in for slime. And I'd say, that's not what that was for. Right? I mean, I'm glad you like the slime. But that's not what that was for. And I wonder, I wonder if some of us will stand before Jesus Christ. And we say, hey, look look what I got. Look what I bought. Look at what I piled up. When I died, I had more in my accounts than all my neighbors. I had enough that I could have made it for another 20 years. I don't know, maybe Jesus says, that's, that's great, but that's not what I gave it to you for. That's not why you have it. The reason we have what we have is to invest in eternity. Some of you are familiar with, with the interviews in which Bill Gates and his wife, Melinda, right, the founder of Microsoft, I mean, they have what, I don't know, $70 billion. And he has said, His goal before he dies is to give most of it away. And I've always found that convicting because here's a man, as far as I know, he doesn't know Jesus Christ. He doesn't have an eternal perspective, but he says, I have a responsibility with what I have been blessed with to give the majority away. And every time I read those, I think how much more than if I have been given something and I understand the value of money in an eternal economy, How much more responsibility do I have to say it belongs to Jesus Christ? Whatever he calls me to do with it, I want to do. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Use your resources to invest in those things that will last, that are not going to be beanie babies in the eternal economy. So for just a moment, before we wrap up today, think about what God has given you. Think about what God has given you you have perhaps a place to live, I, I hope, right? An apartment or, or a home, right? That's something that you need. It's, it's a necessity of life to have somewhere to, to sleep and to live. But have you ever thought about your house as a resource to use for the kingdom of God to share it with others? Perhaps missionaries who come in town and need a place to stay to use it for events that further the kingdom of God? Have you ever sat down and had a hard conversation, in fact, to say, do we need this size home? Or could we use some of what God has given us that's invested into this home to convert it into resources for the kingdom of God? Retirement accounts. And I don't want to go from preaching to meddling. Look, I have a retirement account. I am trying to put aside money because inevitably the day will likely come when I am too old or weak to work. And that day will probably come for you. And I assume you will still want to eat and have a place to live. 
right? And so saving is not unwise, but as we think about those years, let me ask this question. Are we thinking about those years primarily as an opportunity to say, when I hit that age, when I hit whatever it is, 65, 70, what I plan to do for the 30 years that follow is to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to go to Maui. I'm going to go to the Bahamas. And that's how I will spend all my time is in leisure and fun. Because now's my time to use my money for my stuff. What if we thought about it differently? What if we said the day will come when I can no longer work and so I want to utilize that money to build a life where I can now invest my time and energy and resources in the kingdom of God. And whatever I don't need, I'll give away. So that even our savings, even our homes, even our cars, everything that we have is used as a resource for his kingdom. I was thinking about my coworker, Blake Jennings, who teaches over at our Southwood campus. I was thinking he, he has a great way that he uses a, a hobby of his, a passion of his for the kingdom of God. He's a car guy. So a few years ago as a hobby, he began buying older cars, sports cars, and he would fix them up and then he would sell them again. And at some point it occurred to him that there are people in the community who don't have any cars, but who need a car that's reliable. And so he thought, with this hobby, what if, what if I could purchase inexpensive cars that are having trouble, fix them up and turn them around and give them to people in need, right? So he began a nonprofit ministry where he takes vehicles and he and a team, they fix them up and then they give them to those in need who need to get to work, who need to get to church, who need to know Jesus. And as he gives that resource, He's also able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So even a hobby, even something we enjoy, can be a resource to invest in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where nothing can touch it, nothing can take it away. So we're going to close with a song. And as we sing the song, here's the question I want us to ask ourselves, are are you and I using our riches to invest in eternity? Uh, The song we're going to sing, some of you know it, some of you do not. It's an old hymn from the early part of the 20th century. It's called, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Those of you that know it know that uh, the tune was composed by George Beverly Shea, who was Billy Graham's music leader for many, many years. He composed it from an old poem, and they sang it at most of the Billy Graham crusades throughout the 20th century and early 21st century. And there was a moment where each person would come to terms with this reality that Jesus Christ is worth everything I have. There is no silver or gold or house or land. There is no fame or reputation. There's nothing worth what Jesus is worth. And so what I would rather do with all that I have is pour it into an eternal investment that will bear dividends for eternity. So as we sing the song, reflect upon this question, are we using what God has given to invest in those things that will last for eternity? Father, even... Even as we sing those words, I know in my heart, the reality is sometimes they don't feel true because 
to our shame, there are days where I think we would say, I'd, I'd rather have something this world can afford. Father, I pray that you would change our hearts so that we would see the eternal and infinite value of your son, Jesus Christ, and so that we would feel free to trust in you and to use all that you have given for the greater value of knowing Jesus and investing in his kingdom. Father, I believe collectively we'd say that's not, that's not yet 100% true of us, but we want it to be. And so transform us through the power of your spirit. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.